The Association for Diplomatic Studies and Training is an independent, non-profit organization located in Arlington, Virginia. Over the past 30 years, ADST has produced the largest U.S. diplomatic oral history collection, unveiling the horrifying, thought-provoking, and the absurd events that have helped shape foreign policy. ADST.org, American Diplomacy, Warts and All. In this episode, we will discuss the impact the Soviet invasion had on the American embassy in Czechoslovakia, and the ways that the State Department helped protect Americans who were in the country at the time of the invasion. The amazing thing was you suddenly you saw on the boards of the streets the names of traitors, the Czechs who were traitors, and they were the they the ones who betrayed Dubček. Uh-huh. Everybody rallied to Svoboda. They thought Svoboda means freedom, of course, mm-hmm. or independence. He was also the president. He was a general. He was a hero of the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. and he refused to give in at this point. So mm-hmm. he was adulated at a level with, together mm-hmm. with Dubček. Wrongly, because Svoboda was not really a good man. He just was an old soldier mm-hmm. who went along with uh, the population. Mm-hmm. He was dazed, and he thought that somehow they, they could work this out. Uh, but uh, he flew to Moscow, mm-hmm. and he did work it out in the Moscow Agreement, which was mm-hmm. a total surrender. But for the moment, he was a symbol of resistance, mm-hmm. and the fact that he was resisting quickly became known. All of the communist leadership, party leadership, had been kidnapped. Uh, new leadership quickly arose, including guys I knew mm-hmm. quite well. I, by the way, the 14th Party Congress took place. These guys mm-hmm. organized the Party Congress. All the delegates went in dressed as workers. It took place right under the nose of the Russians. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> the thing that they had come to prevent took place under their nose. Mm-hmm. But the trouble was that Gustav Husak and a lot of the Slovaks didn't get there. Husak mm-hmm. didn't want to go, really. And he later used that as uh, a basis for undoing the 14th Congress and saying it was not a Congress because mm-hmm. the Slovaks weren't there. But be that as it may, the, uh, the popular resistance uh, was, was everywhere. It was obvious that people were, were resisting. And so uh, it was obvious to the world. Of course, we were, we were reporting that. Uh, as was Czech radio, and Czech radio was being picked up all over as indicating what, what resistance was taking place at this, uh, on that point. So no one could, could assume that the Russians had it. They had the country physically, I and mean, it was beautiful. Their, their military operation couldn't have been better. I mean, they had worked it all out during their maneuvers, of course, when they maneuvered. They, they, it was just the same forces had come back. The ones who had been maneuvering and went over the border when the maneuvers ended came back. And they knew exactly what they were to do, but they didn't have a political plan. Mm-hmm. They had planned to have a workers and peasants government headed by a guy named Alois Indra, who was uh, a key party secretary who was close to Dubček. Uh, they had, uh, as I say, five or six guys on the presidium or, or on the secretariat who supported the invasion. But these guys lost their nerve when they saw how much resistance there was. Finally, they, they all trooped up to Swoboda, the president, and, and asked him to approve the government, and he refused. Mm-hmm. Instead of that, he went to Moscow, <coughs> taking some of them with him. You see, he was, he was really playing both sides, although the Czech people thought that they thought they had won. They thought that they had won when the Soviets had to negotiate. After having invaded the country and being unable to take over, and then they had to start negotiating. The Czechs really thought they had won. 
And of course, at this point, Dubček and the others were released from their prison, where they're probably going to be shot. And they were brought to Moscow because Swoboda had insisted that uh, his colleagues uh, take part in the negotiations. Mm -hmm. Well, they didn't really take part. Dubček certainly didn't, but he was, you know, he, he was present. And according to his memoirs, he, he opposed. Uh, there are various accounts of this, but uh, the bad guys had a majority, even on the Czech group that was negotiating with the Russians. So they negotiated an agreement in Moscow. At the time, the resistance was standing down the Russians. The Russians would have had to use the employ force. So what I said, he didn't want any bloodshed. That's why he did this. But undoubtedly would have been bloodshed. I don't know what the Russians could have done if uh, if the Czechs hadn't uh, given in. But the Czechs certainly could have given a better bargain than they did. As it was, they, they cavalled and gave in. Their, their only thought was that, like good soldiers, Shrek, they could, they could once, once they got out of this thing, they could somehow hoodwink the Russians. But they weren't dealing with, with Austrian, <laughs> Austrian. They were, they were dealing with the uh, hardliners and the Kremlin, and they, they were not about to let the Czechs go. And that would usher in a new phase. But I mean, that's just the, the problem, the resistance, the Czechs thought they'd won, and they realized when the delegation came back from Moscow. They were supposed to be greeted with, you know, the Czechs turned out thousands, they thought they'd won. Mm -hmm. And then when they heard the speeches by Dubček and, and Svoboda and Smirkovsky, they knew that they'd been totally sold out. Uh, that, that morale collapsed on August 27th, <coughs> a really, really devastating day. That was seven days after the invasion. Were uh, there any problems with uh, Soviet troops, you know, people say, uh, you know, going up and saying, why are you here, and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, there were lots of incidents, and there were a lot of people killed. There were Soviets rode around town with their machine guns loaded, and in one case, uh, they went over a bump and uh, fired and killed a young woman just standing there. She wasn't doing anything. Huh. There were several incidents like that. I myself saw a Czech uh, grab a Soviet soldier's submachine gun and run off. Soviet after him, according to the Soviet, would have been shot by his own people if he hadn't got his gun back. Mm -hmm. I don't know what happened because they were out of sight. But as far as the, the, the embassy, on uh, one occasion early in the invasion, we had a Soviet uh, <coughs> armored personnel carrier with a large cannon mounted on it come right to the embassy, and it sat there a long time facing the embassy with a gun aimed at us, didn't fire. The next thing that happened was that uh, we spotted some Soviet soldiers who were uh, on the grounds of the embassy, our grounds, high ground above the embassy, but which belonged to us. Whether they knew that was part of the embassy or not, I don't know. But they were eating apples from one of the apple trees. And we sent our uh, political counselor, uh, our first secretary of embassy, uh, Garrison, who was a Russian speaker, didn't speak Czech, but he spoke Russian. He went up and he told them uh, uh, they were eating American apples. <laughs> well, they, uh, we didn't leave immediately, but eventually they left. But there were there were other other problems. Uh, uh, the uh, security officer had a shotgun stolen from his apartment. And I suppose you can understand why that would happen, I guess. But they broke in. They must have known it was an embassy apartment. It wasn't in the embassy. It was an officer living outside the embassy. And there were plenty of other incidents that shot up the Swiss embassy very badly, and uh, I think no one was killed there. They, uh, they came prepared to use their weapons, 
we uh, we could see them firing tracer bullets. A lot of them were in the yard. My uh, my apartment happened to front on the wall facing the high ground, and so the bullets were coming down. And we, we still had our daughter there. I made the decision not to not to have my wife and daughter leave, or my wife made the decision. I didn't make the decision. She said that she would stay and uh, run the risk, and so she did. An interesting thing was the special train. Uh, we had a lot of people visiting. There was a geologist congress or the whole delegation of young people from somewhere out in Kansas. There were many, many visitors. I mentioned Shirley Temple was there, and, and uh, you know, the man from Uncle was there, and, and a number of Americans were there. Uh, and the question was how to get them out. We'd organized a column of cars. Shirley Temple got out that way. But that was the cars couldn't take out anything like the number of people who were trapped in the city. And, and of course, no one knew what was going to happen. They didn't know whether the Russians would begin firing in, or not. And so the, the hope was to get them out. I think this was the second day. I had had an opportunity to meet the uh, Vice Minister of Transport because an American cabinet official or sub-cabinet official named Auger, I think, had paid a visit to Czechoslovakia in June and had written I had gone with him. We'd taken a special train to Pilsen and so forth. And so we had a little bit of contact with their transport people. All the phones were out and suddenly you, you couldn't count on anybody being anywhere in particular. But I called the Ministry of Transport cold and I got this fellow Tiki, the vice minister. And I asked, I said, there are a lot of Americans here. Uh, could we possibly organize a special train? I thought he was going to say, don't you know there's a war on? But he mm -hmm. said, yes. He said, uh, they had tried to get these people out by buses, but the Czechs wouldn't let them in. They said the Soviets would destroy those buses mm -hmm. in no time. So uh, the train was the only hope. He organized, he said, but it can't leave from the main station because the Soviets are occupying it. So it was agreed that this train would leave from another station. And the consular section then organized, trying to get all Americans possible, and many foreigners, and I suppose maybe some Czechs. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, this train was loaded with people, and it left by night. And I was really worried about the train uh, getting through, because although the Soviets had not by this time occupied a lot of southern Bohemia, they would have taken just one or two uh, armored personnel carriers or tanks spotting a train moving at night to blow it to smithereens. And I was glad to hear on one of the, uh, the local radios, a radio coming out of, I think, uh, I guess it was Chesky Budiovica, but one of, one of the southern Czech towns, a, a train had just uh, <clears throat> passed through there headed for the border mm -hmm. with Austria and reached the border. And had a long argument there with border officials and so forth. But anyway, uh, all those people made it successfully. And uh, I think Ambassador Bean got a lot of <coughs> praise for being able to evacuate people yeah. quickly. Well, that, that set up the final, uh, I have described in, in my book, uh, divided into four sections. One, the Lodnys, two, the Prague Spring, three, the invasion, and fourth, the period after the invasion. Mm -hmm. When the Czechs did their best to retain what freedoms they could, and where the population, the literati, and so forth resisted, and where the Soviets gradually applied pressure using the Slovaks.
and they used Husak shamelessly. The first thing they did was to nullify the 14th Congress because Slovaks weren't there. Then uh, the battle during the fall of the year was essentially over people in radio and television losing jobs, freedom of press slowly being cut off, party uh, central committee meetings becoming tougher and tougher. This podcast has been brought to you by ADST. For more, check out our website at adst.org. ADST, American Diplomacy, Warts and All.